Happy Wednesday, everyone. This is the Libra Lounge with Keisha. And according to producer James, this is our 75th show. And they haven't kicked us off of anything. They tried. Uh, They tried. Yeah, they have tried. (laughs) We, yes, yes. You know, I'm a rebel with a cause. So for anyone who's at home and you don't have anything to do, this will be a great opportunity for you to binge watch or listen to all the episodes of the Libra Lounge with Keisha. We've got some great interviews. We've got interviews with people like Slim Thug. Um, who else, James? We've got interviews with some of the contestants from RuPaul's Drag Race, Little Women Atlanta. We've got, um, got authors, authors, got- politicians, anything and everything. And at the end of the day, the show is just fucking funny because you get to listen to me or watch me act an ass what you can do now is make sure you're following us on social media by going to our facebook page and liking it and by following us on our ig page and also make sure to subscribe to us on youtube and itunes you can also listen to the show on the TuneIn app the laughable app and iHeartRadio podcast so we're going to be doing something a little bit different because we have a fantastic interview coming up but we're going to kick off the show with what we usually end the show with, and that is Bitch, Please. Bitch, Please. You be rolling down the street, telling stories. Bitch, you never tell the truth. Bitch, Please. Everybody know you lying, bitch, because all you do is lie. Okay, so. Whew, this 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 one is real right here, y'all. This is this is really what is going on. You know, a lot of the times my bitch pleases are we awarded to celebrities, and but every now and then we'll have someone that's local. My bitch please of the week right now is going to these fucking knuckleheaded kids that are deciding to run away from home. We have a fucking pandemic going on. What what? You can't run away to a good place because you know what? Everybody do the same goddamn thing at their houses that you were doing at your house. Listen, I know your mom, your dad, your grandparents, whatever. Everybody get on your nerves. We all feel that way. We're all getting on our own goddamn nerves. But listen, if you're not being physically abused, sexually abused, Keep your ass at home and just wait it out. Go in your room, dress in all black, listen to Alt Nation, uh, binge watch some fucking depressing shows on Netflix, and just, that's what we're all doing. We're all sick of all the people in our house. We're tired of eating the same goddamn foods. We all want to go to the movies. We all want to go to the mall. We all want to do, we get it. But we're not running away from home. Y'all got, y'all running away from home. Y'all got everybody in Galveston and Harris County share your goddamn post. Well, you know, you're probably out there trying to get dick and pussy. We get it. We get it. They are. They, this is what they're trying to do. They want to see their girlfriends. They want to see their boyfriends. That's why I'm glad Skylar ain't dating nobody right now because she be driving us slap ass crazy trying to see them. Just stay home and FaceTime them. You can't go anywhere. You know why? Because there's a very deadly virus going around. Stay home. Stay home before you catch a goddamn Corona cooties. All right. We have a fantastic interview for you guys right now. We have um, detective, former detective Phil Waters, who's also the star of the interrogator that can be seen and seen, watched. What's the right word to use, James? Viewed. Seen, seen it, watched, watched it, perused, perused, 
consumed? On the ID channel, which is one of my favorite channels, just as producer David's about that. But th let me tell you, this is one of the best interviews that I've ever had. So much information, so many great stories. We hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you guys next week. Sassy Class Boutique is the hot spot for your fashion, beauty, and home decor desires. We celebrate women of all shapes and sizes with our trendy collection of regular and plus size clothing. Looking for the right accessories? We have upcycled Louis Vuitton handbags, vegan purses, and jewelry to add sass to your class. We also offer health and beauty products from salon quality hair care to cruelty free makeup. Our edgy home decor items will make you the envy of all of your neighbors. Sassy Class Boutique also offers custom items like shirts, hats, and other gifts for any occasion. All of our vendors are female-owned small businesses, and together we are Sassy Class Boutique. Located at 3709 Fatter Drive in Dickinson, Texas, 77539. Or shop anytime with us at www.sassyclassboutique.com. Welcome back to the Libra Lounge with Keisha podcast. I have on the line with me, Bill Waters. Now that name may sound familiar to you if you're a fan of the show, The Interrogator on the ID channel, which my husband calls channels like the ID channel. Um, he calls them my murder porn shows because I've seen so many episodes of all those shows. So welcome to the show, Phil. Thank you so very much for having me, Keisha. I appreciate it. No, thank you for being on the show. Now, let me ask you, is it Detective Waters or is it just Phil? What do you go by? Well, <laughs> I go by Phil. Of okay. course, when I was, when I was working in, a, in an official capacity, I was a homicide detective with the Houston Police Department. So in my case, uh, even after retirement, I was still only answer to Detective Owens for like the rest of my life, but that's me. <laughs> well, no, 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 I, I, I hear you. And, and quite frankly, that's what, that's what most people will call me. Uh, of course, my friends, you know, call me Phil and so forth, but. I would make them you know, call me Detective I, too. Right, right. <laughs> when I go to, well, not, well, that's funny that you say that. I mean, I do have friends that uh, they will refer to me as a detective. And since the show came out, uh, my pastor even refers to me as the interrogator. So yes, yeah. like yes, like every right. I would, I would wear a badge and a shirt, have a hat on that all said, "I am the interrogator." Like everywhere <laughs> I go. All right, so we have some questions for you because this is really interesting. Getting to actually interview someone from one of the shows on the ID channel because right now during quarantine. I think the ID channel is getting a lot of views right now, mostly from women. <laughs> um, so let me that ask is, you. That is, so that, you're right that uh, I have uh, since uh, been made aware that the, that the the single largest audience for ID is is women. So, yeah. Uh, yes. yeah, that's that's pretty amazing. It is. I mean, I know for myself, I'll sit down and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna watch one episode. But then I watch oh, yeah. a marathon, and whenever I watch a marathon of shows that are on the ID channel or uh, like Snap that's on Oxygen, my husband tends to stay away from me. He's real quiet on those days. He's like, "Uh oh, she's taking well, notes." He, well, I was gonna say he's probably concerned that you may be uh, you may be putting something back in the file, in the file cabinet there to be used later, right? Right. That is research for sure. 
Right, right. <laughs> so, so, Phil, what's your history in law enforcement? I know you said that you're a retired detective from HPD, but how did you get started? Well, I would tell you that for me, law enforcement, just in a general sense, was a calling. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in the Marine Corps and had initially wanted to be a, uh, once I got through my uh, college uh, career, I guess, my, working on my bachelor's degree, mm -hmm. and I went to the Marine Corps as, a, as an officer of Marines, and I initially was going to go into the PLC, what was called at the time the PLC Law Program, and I, once I graduated from college, I just, I think I was worn out from school, mm -hmm. could not imagine spending another, you know, three years in law school, so right. I went ahead and took a commission and went into the Fleet Marine Force, mm -hmm. served as a, as a ground officer. Mm -hmm. uh, but as I was uh, getting to the end of my active duty requirements, uh, I started mulling over whether or not the, the practice of law was really what I was drawn to. Mm -hmm. and I, was, I was very, I, I mean, you could have asked me at the age of probably nine and I would have, because I used to watch Perry Mason all the time. Okay. So uh, I, I would have told you I'm going to be a lawyer. That's mm -hmm. what I really set my sights on. And then I had an opportunity in the Marine Corps to serve as a quasi prosecutor mm -hmm. on uh, administrative discharge boards where the Marines that were appearing before those boards for a dishonorable uh, a discharge under other than honorable conditions. Mm -hmm. They were provided an attorney. They were provided a jack, a judge uh -huh. And so the more I was involved in that process, where I was essentially the prosecutor for the government, for the Marine Corps, mm -hmm. and the more interaction that I had with lawyers, I came to the conclusion that the first year of law school is the basis of the law. And then the next two years is the complete removal of any integrity, backbone, or honor that uh, a person may have. So uh, I hope James isn't an attorney. But, uh, so we, he is. He is. Uh, he he is. has well, his own okay. law practice. No. Oh, okay. I'm just well, kidding. So, so uh, well, I, and I am too. I am too. But, but it was, it was a, just a sense that uh, I thought, and I, and I became involved in some investigations mm -hmm. in the process of that assignment. So. It really, I was really drawn to, I guess, investigative functions. Right. And the more that continued to occur, I started drifting toward, uh, I felt the calling to go into law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, I had applied at several different agencies. And I ended up, I, I applied with HPD, uh, with the Houston Police Department mm -hmm. in 1983. And there was a lot of turmoil going on in the department at the time and so forth and so on. And I, I was married and had two kids and, and uh, I needed a job. Right. And so I was waiting to hear. They, they weren't sure when they were going to have an academy or if they were going to have one or there was going to be one every six weeks. So it was really a lot of turmoil. So uh, the long and short of that was I had to get a job. I went out and I applied at a at U.S. home, which was the largest track home builder in the country at the time okay. and their office were in Houston. And I went to work with them as a uh, superintendent trainee. Okay. Three weeks after I went to work for them, 
I got a call from HPD. Of course. I was told that they had me scheduled for an academy class and, and blah, blah, blah. Well, at the time, I had to tell the recruiter that I was going to stick to where I was because I was making $8,000 more a year than a starting rookie at HPD. Mm-hmm. So I stayed with U.S. Home, and but I was still had this yearning to be a member of law enforcement. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine that was a precinct for a Harris County constable mm-hmm. deputy, uh, he and I talked about it. He suggested going and getting a reserve commission with the Harris County Sheriff's Office and and doing it that way. So that's what I ended up doing. I went to an academy. I got a, a hired by the Harris County Sheriff's Office in their reserves mm-hmm. and was able to go out two or three nights a week and work. Uh, I worked in the jail. I worked in the old rehab center out off of the Tascosita, which isn't even there any longer. And uh, you still liked it? Because that probably would have scared me off. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I, I, Working in the uh, jail overnight? Ooh. Oh, it was, it was, uh, it, it, you know, it was, it just, it, it, it ripped the scab off of the desire to do it, right? Yes. So uh-huh. I, uh, I just, um, I did that for a year, worked patrol up around Cypress Wood with the sheriff's office, and, uh, but still had this yearning to, to do this. Right. This was what my calling was really about. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some things happen. The Lord works in mysterious ways, and I believe that he puts you where he wants you, and uh, he puts you through whatever those paces are that gets you to where he wants you to be. Mm-hmm. And there were some things, you know, if you, if you remember back in the early 80s, uh, the, the oil industry crashed uh in the uh, in about 84 85 somewhere around there my husband's shaking his head like yeah and how old were we during that time chase he is shaking his head like he was part of the oil industry back then and just remembers everything what were we four five five <laughs> well <laughs> yeah. well i can tell you so so you know it was great because the housing when when the oil was was booming Mm -hmm. Uh, the housing industry was incredible it was going crazy and in houston texas and u.s home was in 21 different states Mm -hmm. but they were doing 40 percent of their building in houston texas okay so it was a great you know job it was a great career path and and i left i was i've been promoted two or three times and at the time that i left i was given a choice so i i had suffered i had survived all of the layoffs mm-hmm. was still working for us home but in order to stay with them and in their management you know program i was going to have to accept a transfer to either garden city new jersey or california and uh neither one of those from places, home well neither one of those places appealed to me mm-hmm. at all right so i got an opportunity to i was offered a full-time job as a deputy with the Montgomery County Sheriff's Office mm-hmm. in, you know, north of Houston. Right. And I, I, I worked, I took the job and I worked for a month for U.S. Home and for the Sheriff's Office because of the shifts. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. the they were 12-hour shifts. It was two days on, three days off, three days on, two days off, mm-hmm. and I could I could manage both. Well, I did that for about a month, and then realized that I could not That's continue. A lot. Yeah, I couldn't do that, and so uh, 
I went to my wife and I said, look, this is what I want to do. And the only thing she asked me was, can we pay the bills? And of right. course I lied and said, sure we can. <laughs> so I went from making between, this is, we're talking 1985 now. Mm -hmm. I, I'd been a reserve for a year. Uh, I went from making 30 to 40 grand a year to making $1,400 a month. Oh, wives so, don't like stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. So, but we, you know, we made the, we made the move and, and, and again, you know, the Lord provides. So we, uh, there was never a moment in time. So now when you flash forward after a 33 year career and there was never a time where we ever lacked for anything that we needed. Right. And we were very blessed. And uh, my wife was, uh, they, you know, they don't call her St. Sandra for nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. so, uh, she was uh, the perfect cop's wife. So I, I ended up uh, leaving Montgomery County after almost eight years. I worked patrol. I worked, I was on the SWAT team. I worked narcotics. <gasps> wow. The SWAT team. Uh, did a lot of undercover work with narcotics, mm -hmm. uh, as a narcotics detective. Um, and uh, left there after almost eight years with the mm -hmm. sheriff's office, nine years in law enforcement, and went to HPD. Mm -hmm. And went down there in their lateral program and worked patrol for about 17 months. And then they had openings in homicide. And I had several friends that were in homicide that I'd worked with when I was in narcotics in Montgomery County. And they encouraged me to put in for these openings. Mm -hmm. And I did. And I was fortunate enough to be selected. Mm -hmm. And I uh, went to um, uh, homicide after 17 months at HPD. And I stayed there my entire career at HPD and retired with 23 years as a homicide detective with the Houston Police Department. That's awesome. That really, really is. Um, now, let me ask you, from working patrol till now, what are some of your prouder moments and what are some of the moments that are the most regrettable? Well, I, I will tell you, Keisha, I, I don't have any regrets. Mm -hmm about anything, mm -hmm. uh, because if not for those experiences, uh, they wouldn't have made me into the man I am today. Mm -hmm. So gotcha. I, I don't, I don't regret uh, the bad experiences, the good, bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. So in terms of now there are, there are disappointments that I have had. Right. And I would tell you that in terms of the job that I did, and it was always my intention and desire to and i brought this along with me as i went into homicide and it became more pronounced mm -hmm. was to it's always a journey for the truth right it's not about filing a charge it's not about uh, trying to make a case against someone mm -hmm. it's always about a journey for the truth right right and in, and in keeping with that and this is what, in fact, in the, in the classes that my old uh, homicide partner and I, we ended up teaching interview classes that were required classes at HPD. And we've taught all over the country and all over the world, quite frankly. And we, we put together, we've been to several different interview classes, and we put together our own philosophy about interviewing. Because interviewing is interviewing. You can go on the Internet. 
you can find all the basic interview techniques. You can talk about, uh, you know, body language and eye movement and, and all those things that are incorporated into the interview. And those are the mechanics of it, the mm -hmm. formulas, right? But what we brought to it was a philosophy that was born out of our faith. Mm -hmm. And he was a, he's a strong, very strong practicing Catholic. Mm -hmm. I'm a Southern Baptist boy from Oklahoma. So we had some very interesting discussions. I bet y'all did. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but the one thing that brought us together in a, in a, in, in, in a central uh, place was the fact that we both know that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And um, in fact, we're going to be celebrating Easter. And, uh, and we know that he is risen. Right. And so that, that allowed us to bring a philosophy into the way we conducted our investigations and the way we conducted our interviews in that we treat everyone with dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. Everyone. Now, I know a lot of people say those words. And for us, they're not, you know, words have meaning. And those right. two words have meaning for us. So we don't, we didn't enter this with saying those two words because we thought they sounded good. Right. These were things that we were committed to doing, and it made no difference regardless of race, creed, color, nationality, orientation, um, whatever your political views are, no matter who you are, wherever you are on the socioeconomic ladder, no matter what flavor you might be, right. you still treat everyone with dignity and respect. And we, we do that by remembering what all of us have in common. There are three things that we all have in common, and it crosses all borders. Again, uh, race, creed, color, all that. Mm -hmm. it, it crosses completely across the spectrum. And those three things are that we, we all want to be loved. Right, yeah. We all want to be respected. And we all want the ability to take care of those who love and respect us. We just make different decisions about how we accomplish those three things. Yes. <clears throat> now, let me say this, Detective. Because in my mind, I've watched enough episodes of The First 48. <laughs> I've seen every episode of the show The Sinner. I've probably seen every episode of Snap, you know, uh, Monstrous, right. all of those things. So in my head, I'm a detective too. And I always want to play the, the bad cop role. And <laughs> this is why you're a better man than I am. I would go in there and threaten people like, I know you're lying. I'm about to call your mama to come up here and beat you. Is that really what you want to have me do? Sometimes I'm watching the show, so I'm so frustrated. I'm like, just slap them. Slap the truth right. out of them. <laughs> I, I would be that kind of detective. I, I probably would be suspended quite often. And right. they probably wouldn't let me back on the force until I'd gone through anger management problems. And, you know, and I feel like I'm the human lie detector in my head. <laughs> so, yes. Well, I, yeah. You have to be. You have to be. You guys have that sixth sense that the rest of us don't have to be able to tell that someone is telling the truth or if they're lying. You guys go off of these vibes of feelings. Um, I, I, I made sure to say you guys is going to say we, us, the detectives. Um, but let me just take myself out of it. You, you, you have to have this this human nature aspect about you guys that the rest of us just don't have, you know? Um, now let me ask you, 
the show The Interrogator. How did all of this become? How did you get this show? Like, th th were you approached? What, what's the story behind it? Well, we, we, my partner and I, we had been approached by CBS. Mm -hmm. And this was back in 2014, probably. You, you mean like CBS, like Channel 11? Like the, yeah, right, like, right, yeah. You, you just said that, like, it was, yeah, we were approached by CBS. I would yeah. have a billboard on every corner saying, <laughs> CBS approached me, now what? Okay, so CBS approaches you guys. Right, so we have, so it was the producers with 48 hours on oh, CBS. <laughs> Again, he just says right. it so calmly. Produces well, we were pretty. Hours. Well, we were pretty. Uh, yeah, I think at the beginning we were kind of enthralled that they'd be calling us. Yeah. But, but they, a couple of the producers called us and, about a particular case. Mm -hmm. And it was the Michelle Warner case. This was the guy that uh, killed his, uh, the, the mother of, the, of their child uh, in, his, in their apartment. And is, took he the the, child. is he the one who was pretending? That he was going to like medical school or something like that. He put her body and that she was pregnant. Is that no, 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 okay, no, okay. No, no, they had a three-year-old child. You can you can uh, uh, Google, Google it. Or, I mean, okay. Still on CBS. Yeah, Michelle Warner was the victim. Uh huh. Mark Castellano was the bad guy. Okay. And this case, he had he had had an off and on relationship with her. They had a three-year-old little boy. Uh, she ends up uh, needing to, a place to live. He lets he lets her move into his apartment with the little boy, of course, and then that that goes downhill real quick. Mm -hmm. He ultimately ends up killing her in the apartment. Then he mm -hmm. takes the little boy in her car and uh, takes her to uh, uh, leaves her in the in the closet, oh. and then takes the little boy to his parents' house in Odessa. Oh. And he leaves the little boy there. He comes right back to Houston. He takes her out of the uh, the uh, closet. And of course, at this point, she's starting to rigor mortis is starting right. to set. So he had to duct tape up her hands and her legs so okay. she could fit inside this big plastic container. And so he put a bag on her head because, as he later said, that he was tired of looking at her. Oh, and, well. Uh, yeah, super nice guy. Yeah, charmer there. Yeah, Puts her in the container, then puts in, then takes the container in her car back to Odessa, Ooh. and he parks the car in his parents' driveway and lets her sit out in the uh, in the car in the container in the back seat mm -hmm. for about a day and a half. Mm -hmm. And then he said that he was tired of smoking cigars because she's obviously decomposing, so he was starting to smell her, uh -huh. and he decides to take her out into an oil field in Midland and bury her which he does and and he ends up getting contacted by the doctor show because her family has come in from east texas and they've gone to the media they have filed a missing persons report through hpd and she's all over the all over the country. and so uh, is missing right and uh, so he uh he ends up doing an interview with dr phil and wow. then we ended up uh, getting brought into it by missing persons detectives, and we end up bringing him back, or he comes back voluntarily from Odessa, and I interview him, mm -hmm. and uh, he eventually uh, confesses. You can watch the show; it's a pretty, it's a, it's a 
it's, it's been done several times, but mm -hmm. that was the case. 48 Hours came in and produced the show, did the show, interviewed myself and my partner at the time, Brian Harris. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, uh, so that was kind of our first rollout into these television shows. Well, then after that happened, we started getting calls from different production companies mm -hmm. wanting to preview some of our cases. And there was a production company that did the Michelle Warner case again. Mm -hmm. And then, and she, uh, it was funny, I did the interview with her for the show. Mm -hmm. And I was going out to the car and leaving. And she comes running after me and she says, I want to do a show with you. Wait a minute. Oh, wow. And I said, I thought we just did one. Uh -huh. And she said, no, 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 no. I mean, I want to do a show with you. Wow. And I'm like, holy cow. So um, that was in 2015. Mm -hmm. They showed the, the CBS show, 48 Hours, showed in, I think, February of 2015. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it was very well received. It won the night. It was the most watched uh, 48 hours uh, since 2010, I think, or something like that. But uh, it, it did real well, mm -hmm. and it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a very interesting story. That's that's the most part of it, right? Um, and the confession is pretty dramatic. So we, um, I got with her, and she, I eventually did another show on another case with her. And then we did a couple other shows. We did one on, have you ever watched Killer Couples? Uh, uh, yes. Yes, okay. I have. Okay. <laughs> well, you remember the Chaz Blackshear, Danielle Hudson case with the yellow cab drivers that they were killing. I do. So that was one of our cases, and that was on Killer Couples. <sighs> um, and it was also on TV One. Okay, yeah, uh, 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 uh -huh. on, on uh, For My Man. They <laughs> Me and my mom, we okay. get together to watch For My Man, Every okay. Fatal Attraction. Well. Yeah, my mom's like, there's a new episode on. Do you want to watch it? Uh, yes, I do. Just tell well, me when to be downstairs. So that was on that. And then, uh, and she, over, over time, I just, I signed an agreement with her and she brought in another producer they did some teasers, uh, did a teaser and shopped it around and ID ended up picking it up. And so then they went into production um, in early 2019 and taped these six episodes and then uh, released them, I think, in November, October, November of uh, of last year. Mm -hmm and uh, showed the six episodes of course the that's the good news that's the great news the bad news is that because of some business problems that id channel is having they did not renew the show for a second week. Oh. so that was the only uh, kind of big disappointment in fact i got i got phone calls from not only the producers but from my talent manager and from the with ID, and I got a, I got a call from one of the execs mm -hmm. from ID, and they were apologizing over and over again. Uh, said that everybody loved the show, uh, loved me, and all that good stuff, and mm -hmm. they pump you up. But the problem is, is that the the competition for this particular type of 
of uh, news of television shows is is getting very very competitive. Yeah, it uh, is. Fox Channel. Yes. Uh, A and E. You know, there's all all these channels are doing these true, these true crime shows, mm -hmm. and ID ID has been the big boy for years and years and years. They are losing out to the streaming video stuff like Netflix and Hulu. Yes, they are. Yeah, and, that makes you know, sense. Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. So they don't even have a streaming video uh, function. Okay. And they're they're not even rolling that out until the next year. So okay. What it what boiled down to was viewership for the channel is down uh -huh. overall for the regular television crowd. Mm -hmm. And so if, if my show was winning the night. Sometimes it was winning the week, mm -hmm. but if you have, just to put it in these easy terms, if my show was getting a hundred share, but the channel was down 200 share, right. they're not, they're not making any money. Right. Right. So there's no sense in putting money into a new show. Yes. I, I, uh, that makes sense. They, they declined to, uh, to renew it for a second season. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, which was disappointing to everybody, but I understand it. And I just, I was just very blessed to have the privilege to, to be involved in it in the first place. Well, I, I can pretty much, I, I can see you getting picked up by another network, but I tell you what, <clears throat> this is what I'm going to do for you. <laughs> when the show gets picked up by another network, I, this, this is what, this is just what I believe. Okay. And you tell me what you think. You need a sidekick who doesn't necessarily know what the hell they're doing, but they're there to ask all the questions that the women at home are asking while we're watching the show. Or, or I, I'm giving you options. Or if you guys need extras for all of the episodes, you need a black woman. I'm your well, girl. I was going to say, Keisha, I'm getting the impression here that you're asking for a J-O-B. I, you know, I, this is, look, you're, you're nearby, I'm down, you know, I'm just a hop, skip, and a jump, and we, we can do this. I, we, I, we can do it. I we think sure I'm could. the pepper to your salt. We, we could sure do it. I we think, sure I think it. us working together would be television gold. That, that, so. <laughs> it might, it might very well be. It would be something unique. That's for sure. Because yes. There is, there is nothing else on television like that might be. <laughs> that's for sure. I'm sure all of your former colleagues would be like, Phil, what are you doing? Why do you have this girl on the show with you? Oh, I, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> uh, so, you know, what, are, what is the most interesting case that the show covered? Oh, wow. Um, well, all of them were interesting, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and there were, there's a different kind of attachment to each one. Mm -hmm. uh, all of them were, were uh, with the exception of one, were all whodunits. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I would say the one that, and I and I say this on the show itself, the one that I had the most emotional attachment to was the Contreras uh, auto dealership uh, triple homicide. And when did that happen? That was in 2016. That was in January of 2016. Okay, okay. And why was that one? Why does that one stick out to you? Well, number one, uh, it, 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 uh, uh, triple homicide is a is a horrific scene. Period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what we what we saw when we got there to this particular scene was uh, three dead 
men who were all family members, oh. uh, the same family, the Contreras family, and there were three generations of men oh. in the Contreras family that were wiped out oh. in less than two seconds over a car. Over a car. Yeah. So uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, and I got to know the family, the, the, one of the brothers, um, uh, uh, who was the twin brother of one of the victims. Mm -hmm. He was an assistant U.S. attorney, Southern District in uh, San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And we thought there may be a, uh, there may be a threat to his life, uh, given the, some of the background on the, on the other brothers. Mm -hmm. And so he got involved in, 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 in terms of coming up to, to Houston. Um, and he and I became, uh, very good friends. I became very close to the family, mm -hmm. and it was just a very uh, uh, an emotional, an emotional investigation on a lot of different levels. So, you know, I, as you're talking, I was sitting here thinking. Before I became a business owner, I worked with. Um, I was an at-risk social worker, and okay. my husband can tell you how many times I would come home. You know, because you do so much to help the kids and then you get to a point, you're like, I'm sending them right back home to this horrible, horrible life. There was times yeah. that I would go home and have just total breakdowns. I don't know how many times I would call James like, can I quit? Or there's, there was a phone call. Uh, so James, we're going to foster a student. KK, bye. You know, so I can't even right. imagine, like, what, what do you do? from the time that you leave your office and the drive home, what, what do you do? Do you pray? Do you listen to music? What do you do so you're not bringing all of it into your house? Well, I will tell you, you know, I started out this conversation with telling you that I'm grounded in my faith. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that, and, 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 you know, trust me when I tell you that in 23 years I've, worked over 400 homicides in Houston. That doesn't include kidnappings, murder for hires, and industrial accidents, and, and other aggravated assaults, that kind of thing. But, you know, it, it is, a again, I, I will tell you that, that I guess the decompression process for me is that I, I know who is in control, mm -hmm. and I, and, and again, I have a, my, my wife is a, is a wonderful uh, woman of faith, mm -hmm. and she was therapeutic, I guess, in terms of, now she never, she never, I never went home and told her, you know, here's, but she would ask me, you know, what's, what was the scene, mm -hmm. and she doesn't want the gory details, she just wants to let me talk to her about it, right. and so I did that, and of course, you're talking about, uh, you use the words regret, and I'm using the word disappointment. Mm -hmm. I think the, 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 the biggest disappointments that I had, while I had a 96% a clearance rate mm -hmm. among those homicides. Wow, uh, that's impressive. The, and 90% of those were with confessions. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. I, my, my greatest disappointments were, of course, not being able to solve or clear the other 4%. Right, of course. And, uh, and because I, you know, I would, uh, you know, I, I would, 
I would, and I had, I would have family members calling me and I never quit working on a case mm-hmm. until there was just a point where there, there are some times where you just hit the wall. Right. Uh, there's, you've done everything you can possibly do. And you are literally waiting for that phone call, that magic mm-hmm. phone call. And there were some of those, and there were some of those that I don't know if you remember. Now there are some, and there was one that I thought I was going to leave. I was going to go into retirement having never solved this case, which mm-hmm. was upsetting to me because I, I, again, I got pretty close to the family. But, uh, when, uh, if you remember when Carol Oliver, uh, the, uh, McDonald's owner, uh, was killed in Houston. And, I don't uh, I remember that one. Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty big deal. I mean, he was, he was, uh, well, well known in his community. Uh, he was, a, he was a man of, uh, second chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he owned, uh, uh several McDonald's, uh, in the Houston area, mm-hmm. in Houston. He was a friend of the mayor's. I mean, he, he was a, a chaplain for, uh, I think it was precinct three, um, Fort Bend County Constable Reuben Davis when he was down there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, and he was shot down and murdered uh, in the early mor- in the morning hours uh, making a bank run mm-hmm. at McDonald's off of I-10. Mm. And so, we had a whole lot of nothing, but then it ended up being we got sent off on Oh my gosh, we were on so many different uh, uh, rabbit trails. I mean, we were just, we were just running all. It took it took us to Louisiana uh, to a, to an Indian uh, reservation. I mean, it was it was uh, uh, something else. But the last investigative decision that I ever made was two months before I retired, mm-hmm. and it was to take. We had very little firearms evidence. Uh, we had a very good, a, a real good bullet out of the autopsy. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have any casings, but we knew that it was a 40 cal. So we presumed that, and we had the vehicle, the, the suspect vehicle on videotape. Mm-hmm. And we knew that the, we knew that the person shooting was shooting from inside the car. That's why we didn't have any. Uh, casing okay. so in the spot. and so it was uh it was real real bad and but i took and we we we, we were just at our wits end and we took the bullet i took the bullet and i got with a friend of mine at the fbi mm-hmm. that we had worked with a lot and asked him to send this bullet because i sent the bullet to atf i mean i, I didn't everything I could do when we got to talking about another case. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the uh, armored car killings? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. There were two or three armored car Uh guards that were, that were killed. And, and, uh, and and of course the armored cars were robbed and it was, it was a gang. It was a, these group of guys and the, the, uh, the leader of this group was a guy named Baptiste. Mm -hmm. And he was uh, setting up, he would set up a sniper's nest in, uh, in a stolen uh, Toyota 4Runner or whatever type of rental car that he stole. Mm-hmm. And would, uh, if, if it looked like the, and he was very organized in the way they would take down these 
armored cars, mm-hmm. and if it looked like one of the armored car personnel were going to make a move on the gang, he would shoot them. He would he would take them out. He would take from his sniper sniper wow. snips. And so um, he eventually was caught. Mm-hmm. I, I got caught in the act, but it told everybody that he was going to be taken alive, and a an HPD counter sniper actually took him out when he stepped out of the car with a uh, an AR-15 and was going to light the place up. So, so the sniper got taken down by a sniper. Correct. Wow. And it was quite a deal. They they apprehended you know the other people involved. So saw a great case. Mm-hmm. And we got to talking, uh, the FBI agent and I did about this case with Mr. Oliver mm-hmm. and this case with Baptiste because mm-hmm. the vehicle that was being used. And our deal was a white uh, Toyota 4Runner. And he says, well, you know, the car that we got when Baptiste was taken down was a white Toyota 4Runner. And I said, really? And I said, and we talked about what my theory was, is that he was, Mr. Mr. Oliver was shot from inside the vehicle and and he died there in the parking lot. Mm And I said that it looked to me that, it, that he was being shot at by the driver over the driver's right shoulder through the right-hand side passenger window rear seat. Mm-hmm. So he said, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you know, this, this Toyota 4Runner that we have has got a bullet hole in the post between the rear back seat passenger side window and the front seat passenger side window. Mm-hmm. And I said, you got to be kidding me. He said, no. I said, is the bullet still in the, in the vehicle? And he said, well, there, it was at the FBI lab. They're, they're going to extract the bullet. Mm-hmm. And I said, let me send you this bullet that I have from this autopsy and get your FBI lab to do the ballistics on it and see if it, the analysis see if it's the same gun. Well, I, I made that decision two months before I retired. And I retired, and about six months later, I get the phone call, the bullets match. Wow. The suspect for killing uh, Mr. Oliver is Baptiste. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, that was clear death of defendant. Right. But the, uh, the other members that were taken alive, they all um, – uh, told the story mm-hmm. about what happened and were able to verify that this was in fact the, the shooter in that deal. So that was that that case was one of the most um, uh, I guess I, I felt the 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 most pleasure if that's the word we want to use here in in resolving uh, for that family for the Oliver family. Right. Uh, and uh, and I and I still hear from uh, from Stephanie Oliver and Mr. Oliver's daughter, mm-hmm. and uh, and the family was great, greatly affected. Just a great group of people, right. and uh, and and so we we stayed in touch, uh, and so forth and so on. But but yeah, that that one case is is pretty vivid. So you mentioned how you had the bullet from your case, and then you guys were you were able to work with the FBI and. Match the bullets from coming from the same gun. With 
that had me thinking about, you know, the times that I'm watching um, the investigative shows and the timing on things, such as, you know, a D DNA test or uh, like you just said, the bullets and things like that. And when you watch so many shows like Law and Order and things like that, things really happen quickly. And, you know, when I hear someone say, well, it's going to take this many weeks to get this back. And I'm like, wait. That is not how Horatio Kane and the CIS, CIS, CSI oh, yeah. Miami crew does it. Like, they get it pronto. So what are the biggest misperceptions uh, that people have about a case and timing and things like things that can be done, like, on the scene? And, but, you know, when you, the reality versus what we see on television and the movies. Well, you know, it's kind of funny when the first shows, first series of uh, of 2000, uh, of CSI came out, mm -hmm. you know, when those first shows came out. And we watched them. I mean, they were entertaining. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but my wife would look at me and they, they would do something, you know, something CSI-ish, right? And <laughs> yeah. they would, she would look at me and she goes, wow, that's impressive. You guys have got that stuff, right? <laughs> and I would look at her and i go, are you kidding me? <laughs> I said, please. I think one of the things I saw, one of the more ridiculous things was they took some, uh, some uh, they, they melted down some sort of epoxy or plastic or something and, and poured it into a knife wound and came out with the, the type of blade or something that the knife, and I was like. Wait, 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 that, please, please. That, that's not real? That can't be done in real life? Right. Oh, sure. my gosh. Yeah, sure. <laughs> So, uh, so now you get the deal where the, uh, you know, the DNA stuff, um, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's better, but I can tell you that at HPD, I maybe had two or three cases where DNA was just part of the evidence. I don't think I, I can't think of any case where the the case turned on the DNA evidence. Wow! Uh, it, it seemed to be more of the collective. You know, it was just we had all this evidence, and the the DNA was just kind of the icing on the cake. Um, and that's the same thing with fingerprints. I can tell you this: I, in in all my time in homicide and law enforcement, I had one case where a fingerprint was every it was ever significant. Okay, wait. So you're telling me that there's not a member of HPD who specializes in fingerprinting and they go out with their, their little powder and their feathered little utensil and, yep. you know, they brush it on, then they get that little sticky piece of paper and put it on and they yep. run it right through their little system that they have right there on the scene. That doesn't, yep. that doesn't happen very often? It didn't happen for me. Oh, I mean, I'm starting to feel a little bit betrayed by some of these shows. You know, I'm only, like, I can only, I can only speak from my own experience, and I can tell you that I can think of one case. In fact, it was the yellow cab killing. It was the Chaz Blackshear, Danielle Hudson case, uh -huh. and uh, we pulled a fingerprint off of one of the doors of one of the cabs, mm -hmm. and it ended up being Chaz Blackshear's. And by the time uh, we had them discovered as as our suspects. I had called the Leighton lab and said, I'm going to give you a, um, a possible suspect to check because we had his prints in our lab. Mm -hmm. And 
before I could even tell him who it was, he told me it was Chaz Blackshear. So he had already he had already processed the print mm -hmm. and found it was Chaz Black Master Chaz Blackshear. But I can tell you that uh, that was the only case that I can think of off the top of my head where a fingerprint <laughs> made made a difference. Because to us, you know, non-investigative folk, everything that everything's in the DNA and the fingerprints. That's right, and you know, and that becomes a problem with um, juries. Mm -hmm. Oh, I they, bet. Because they want to see the same thing. Mm -hmm. And when you don't come in there with that razzle dazzle, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sometimes you never know what a jury is going to do. Right. And and the presence of DNA or the lack of DNA mm -hmm. doesn't. It, it it is not the case closure that most people think that it is or should be um, uh -huh. it, you've got to you've got to have corroboration of, of pieces of evidence you know we have affirmative links and the more affirmative links you have obviously the better case you you have you can mm -hmm. present to the prosecutor's going to have mm -hmm. and um you know uh, again the dna uh, the lack of DNA at a murder scene does not necessarily mean that the person who murdered that person was not present. Right. So, uh, and then the, the transverse of that is, is that there may be DNA present, but do we know when that DNA showed up at the scene? Okay, so let's just go ahead. Let's, uh, let's I want to go ahead and burst my own last bubble. Now I'm going to ask you this. <laughs> um... So there's not like, it, it, okay, I'm, I, I'm having to really process all of this right now. Okay. There, it, so it, it, it never happens that, I don't even know this person's job title. I, you know what? They, they never really say what the person's job title is on the show, but they go inside a crime scene and they have their little, you know, their case. They take out the little Q-tip, the long ones, not the short ones that we use for our ears, the long ones. They, yep. um, they, you know, rub it on an area. Then they cut it. They put it in a little tube, put it through a little machine that's in their little case, that's in their case. And yep. by the time they get back out to, like, their vehicle, they already have the DNA analysis. That, that doesn't happen? That, that, tell me it happens. Tell me that's real. Tell me it's real. Even if you, you know, even I, if you I have to lie to me, Phil, lie to me. Teacher, <laughs> I, I, I would never lie. I would never lie to you, dear. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I, I can, I can tell you. Uh, I, I, I have a small form of irritation every time I see that. I and I, you I, do. I, I'm talking about television shows that I like. Mm -hmm. And I see that happen, and I'm just like, I just shake my head because I'm sitting here going. <laughs> The next person on a jury has just seen what uh -huh. I saw, yep. and that's going to be their expectation. I'm going to tell yep. you what, there was, there was a time, it got a little bit better, mm -hmm. but I can tell you that there was a time where I wouldn't get DNA results uh -huh. for over a year. What? <laughs> and, then the result, and then the results that I got meant absolutely nothing. A year? Yeah. Not... not not uncommon at all. Oh, I wish you could see the look on my face and James's face right now. When you said that, both of our mouths just dropped open. A no, year. I, 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 yeah. No, and, and, you know, and, and it, it got a little better. Now, we could, 
Now, I, I, let me, let me, there's a caveat here. So let me tell you this. Mm-hmm. I know that they can process DNA within days. 48 hours? Like the first 48 hours? Yeah. Did you see yeah. what I did there, Phil? Did you see? Yes. Oh, no, they can. <laughs> okay. they, they have the capability. In fact, I had a case where that was done. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I know that the ability to do it is there. The problem is that there is so much input into the system for DNA results mm-hmm. that it gets, it gets bogged down and they have to prioritize. And of course, they're getting DNA requests, not only from homicides, but from major burglaries, uh, sexual assaults, mm-hmm. that, that kinds of things. So, um, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's just, it's just, and I, I'm hoping that they're better now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and of course, they're always developing new forms of DNA testing. Mm-hmm. It's always better and more finite. Um, and so, you know, the, 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 the process, it keeps getting better, right? But this, this, uh, and maybe there will come a time where you can walk in and boom, and, and walk out. And you already got the answer. Yeah. Okay. But, so before we get to um, Kindred Spirits investigations, I have to know what crime shows do you watch for entertainment? <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna know you don't watch any of them for information after the conversation we just had. But what what shows do you watch that are crime related for entertainment? Well, I do watch Forty Eight Hours, and I do watch Dateline, and I do I do watch some of the um, uh, a couple of the shows on ID or Oxygen. I watch Criminal Confessions mm-hmm. on Oxygen. Uh, I watch Cold Justice because I happen to know Kelly Siegler. She's a friend of mine. Okay. And, and uh, Johnny Bonds and those people on that show, uh, and they're doing really, really good work on cold cases. Mm-hmm. And but, but I, I watch those uh, for my own purpose. I watch those because I like to see ultimately what is it that broke the case for those detectives, right? And right. and what did what did they do to to bring about finding? Because here's what I here's what I teach and what I preach. You know, our jobs as police officers, really, and as detectives, really is is a very simple formula. Mm-hmm. And that's to find the right person who's done the wrong thing and make sure that there's a sense of justice served. Right. So a measure of justice served. So mm-hmm. I, I look at those shows, watch those shows, because I want to see what they're doing. I want to, especially watching the interview process, mm-hmm. I want to see what they're doing. And, of course, you know, I've seen some horrific interviews. I can't believe anybody ever confessed based mm-hmm. on these. But, and, and, and you know, and I want to watch those shows to make myself a better interviewer and a better detective. Because if I see things I can use, I'm a great, I'm great at poaching those things, right? Right. And then well, I, I will see mistakes that are made. And I can say, you know, look, I, uh, trust me, I, I'm not perfect in the interview room. I've made some mistakes and I've learned from those mistakes. I don't make the second mistake twice, mm-hmm. you know, the same mistake twice. So right. I, uh, I look at those things to educate myself because the interview is an art. It's a skill. It's something that, that you can be, you know, I, I get guys that have, that have come through the class and, you know, and they think because they're good at BSing with people, but mm-hmm. that makes and that's not true. Right. Just because you can shoot your mouth off a lot. Uh, does not make you a good interview mm-hmm. because you've got to understand, you know, the Lord gave us one mouth and two ears, right? Yeah. So that's, 
that we can hear twice as much as we say. Mm -hmm. so sometimes it's hard to get that across to people to think just because they have the gift of gab uh -huh. that it makes them a good interviewer. Right. But I will say, and not everybody becomes a great interviewer, but I can tell you that if they apply the techniques with the philosophy that we teach with, that you will be a better interviewer. Mm -hmm. So those are the types of shows I watch for that purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as entertainment goes, I, I loved watching the, of course, I watched the original Hawaii Five-0, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when back when Jack Lord was Steve McGarrett, and, mm -hmm. you know, back when it originally, you know, came about. Man, that just brought back memories of childhood when you said that the original oh, well, Hawaii Five-0. Yeah, I was a little bit younger than you, but or a little <laughs> bit older than you, but... But um, so, you know, but I enjoyed the, the Hawaii Five-0, which just wrapped up its, its, its finale. Uh, so that show's over with. Uh, and, and I have a, an attachment to Hawaii Five-0. My wife and I just recently built a home on the big island in Hawaii. And uh, uh -oh. so we, uh -oh. have, a, we uh -oh. have a little attachment, a uh, little attachment to the, uh, to the islands. But, um, uh, and then uh, the, the best show on television, I think, uh, in terms of uh, police work, mm -hmm. is Blue Bloods. Now I've not watched that. Well, you need to watch that because okay. that is a. It's a Tom Selleck and uh, uh, Mark Wahlberg, not Mark Wahlberg, uh, Danny Wahlberg, but Donnie. There, uh, there. It, it is. It, it is a. It, it's about NYPD. Uh -huh. uh, Frank Reagan, the Reagan family. Uh, they're all, it's all a police family, several generations of policemen. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, it is, you know, it's not completely realistic, but it does take current events mm -hmm. and kind of works them into the script. Okay, gotcha. Uh, and it gives a really objective perspective of policing mm -hmm. and uh, and the other side of the argument right, right. so uh, it's 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 an interesting show from that perspective plus there has been very few of these shows that end without a a good feeling about what you just watched mm -hmm. and, uh, so it's uh it, it really it's it's very unique in that respect mm -hmm. and and these, uh, uh, so I really, really enjoy that show. Okay. The, the other, uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other police shows. i tell you what I've been doing. I've been going back and, and recording uh, all of the Perry Masons, and I've watched the entire, mm -hmm. you know, I've watched those shows, uh, Wanted Dead or Alive, mm -hmm. uh, The Wild Wild West. I mean, you know, so I've gone back and looked at those. But I will tell you the one show that was likely the best portrayal mm -hmm. uh, of police officers on the job mm -hmm. was uh, Barney Miller. Okay. Huh. And why so is I don't, that? I don't know if you remember that show. But, my, uh, I, I, my mom watches old shows now. So at any given point, we can walk downstairs and gun smoke is on i mean yeah and then you know we wind up sitting down just you know because spending time with her and watching some of those shows so i've never seen the show but i know of the show well if you get a chance to watch mm -hmm. barney miller mm -hmm. it's about a it's about a detective squad at nypd 
Okay. And it's hilarious. And, okay. I, and I, I tell my wife, I tell anybody, that show is probably the most honest portrayal of what goes, in, what goes on inside a squad room in a detective bureau. Okay, I'm putting both shows on my list. I want to rewind for a second because you said something, and when you said it, I saw the look on my husband's face, and it was, oh, boy. <laughs> when, you, when you mentioned the Big Island, because I, I want to visit the Big Island, and not for the traditional reasons that people do, you know, um, just the island life, the water, the, the mountains, the scenery, the beauty. I, and next time you go, let me know so I can go with you. Uh, I'm just going to invite myself. Well, uh, I was going to tell you, so my wife and I, uh, uh, first of June, uh, we're, we are going to go to uh, Hawaii, uh -huh. and, uh, and we will be staying in our in our house. And okay. uh, So, uh, so if, I have a place to stay if I ever if go. You, if you and James, I'm not going to leave James out of this. Don't be cut Aww, in Oh, man. All right. So, if, so if used you and to James, being left out of stuff. If, <laughs> if you and James would like to come over and visit, you have a place to stay on the Big Island. Okay, so that's going to lead me to my next question. Okay. Um, I only want to go to Hawaii so I can meet Dog the Bounty Hunter. You well, know Dog, him? yeah, I don't know Dog. I've never met Dog. We've been going to Hawaii for probably almost 30 years. Have um, you never met Dog? And I've never met Dog. Oh. Um uh, but when we get there, now he, I believe he lives on, he's either living on Oahu or on Maui. I'll have to look into that. I think that. it's Oahu. But, he goes back and forth between there and Colorado. Colorado, uh -huh. right. And so what I will do, though, I will tell you this, I will, I will see if I can make contact with him. Oh, my gosh. I'll love you forever if you do. <laughs> I'm totally well, obsessed. Just, he just said that out loud in front of Jane, so he knows I, me. I, I, I take back. I take back everything I just said. <laughs> okay, I so be, I don't want you being mad. He, he believe me, I give him at least 500 uh, reasons every day to be mad at me, and that's oh, probably going to be at the bottom of the list. <laughs> I'm not even going to get into that discussion. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about Kinder Spirits Investigations. Well, kindred spirits investigation. So, you know, I, I've talked uh, uh, continually about the Lord having a plan, and 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 I and I've tried to be obedient to that plan. So mm -hmm. I will tell you that I had not planned. I had not planned on retiring from HPD until December of 2018. Mm -hmm. Well, in about February of 2017, my old narcotics partner who had retired from the Harris County DA's office as a senior investigator in major fraud, mm -hmm. special crimes. He gave me a call and he said, hey, man, have you ever thought about going into private investigations and security? And I said, well, no. Mm -hmm. He says, well, what do you think? So we talked about it. And... Um, said, well, you know what we need to do if we're going to do something like this... Uh, you know, I, I'd be retiring uh, a year early mm. and, you know, money-wise and all that kind of thing. I mean, I got to look into this. I got to see what's happening here to talk to my wife. And and uh, so we all, we got everybody together in mm -hmm. March and discussed it and decided I was going to take a leap of faith and go forward with it. Mm-hmm. 
And I can just tell you that throughout the, because you've got to get licenses and insurance and you know, you've got to get uh, a new, a new uh, psychological test done. And there's a whole process. Uh, you've got to get in, you know, uh, incorporated and, right. and, and, also, and so there's a whole lot of, and I'd never owned a business before. So this is all, all new to me. Right. And so, so we, we went for it. And in June of 2017, if I was going to retire at the end of, the, of 2017, I had to sign an irrevocable uh, statement that I was retiring. And so if I retire, uh, if I sign this piece of paper, I cannot go back. I can't retire. I can't unretire. Right. Okay. And so we, we talked about it. Uh, my wife came up with the name. Mm -hmm. We had... Um, she had given me a, a print of uh, a Donald Van print. He is the most prolific Cherokee Indian artist in the country. Mm -hmm. And I made my, my mom and on my mother's side and myself, um, we're uh, citizens of the Cherokee nation mm -hmm. by blood. Okay. And um, so my wife had given me this print, a Donald Van print. And it's a, uh, it's a kind of a bleak, uh, snow-filled uh, scene on a mountain, and there's a wolf standing on the on the precipice, and it's howling, and there's what's left the remnants of a tribe in the valley, and they're walking away from where the wolf is standing, mm -hmm. and it's just kind of a very bleak, uh, almost uh, sad scene. Mm -hmm. And the title of the print is Kindred Spirits. Okay, gotcha. And so my wife said, why don't you call it Kindred Spirits? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we said, you know what? That would convey the message, uh, which is that we want to convey the message that we, we believe we are, we have the empathy to understand whatever the problem is that you may have mm -hmm. that we might be able to assist you with. Mm -hmm. And so we went through the process. We uh, became incorporated uh, as Kindred Spirits Investigation and Security Inc. Mm -hmm. We trademarked our logo and we um, copyrighted it, trademarked it, and we have a uh, an office now in the Woodlands. But I went. We went through the process, and every step of the way through the process was just an affirmation after affirmation that this mm -hmm. was to make. And by the time we got to my retirement, which was December 30th of 2017, it was quite clear to me that uh, I was being obedient to what the Lord's plan was for me at that time. Mm -hmm. And so we, I retired December 30th. We opened up the doors 1st of January, 2018, and we've been, rolling ever since um we've not been without work at any point in time uh, we we've we've been managed to make a little money finishing the black the last two years That's and, amazing. Uh, and we're uh we started off strong this year than we ever have stronger than we ever have and, and it's amazing to me the people that are brought to us and we will we will and we're also 
honest enough to tell people, you know, I, I told you from the beginning that it's always a journey for the truth. Mm -hmm. And I want to be honest and straightforward. Uh, some people will tell you that's my two greatest assets and my, and my worst ones. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, because people generally don't want to hear the truth, right? Yes, they, they, the, yeah, the, definitely. The truth is designed to make people feel uncomfortable anyway. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, um, I want, I, you know, I, I've had people call us, um, uh, and, and, you know, and, and a lot because they watch too much television. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they don't, you know, they watch Magnum PI, mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of thing. And, uh, and you know, my, my ringtone, in fact, my ringtone when I was on the job was the song for Hawaii, five O. Oh. Now that I'm off of it, it's the, the theme song for Magnum PI. But, uh, um, and there is a Ferrari in the future, by the way, just to let you know. Okay. On the big island. So, uh, okay. Okay. Uh, and so, but, but we, uh, you know, I've had people call and they, they tell me what they are wanting done. And, and, and I will, and I will tell them that, look, there's no sense. I'm not going to have you. Uh, there are a lot of PIs out there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of PIs out there and they'll take your money. Right. And, and, and I will tell people, I, I, I've talked people out of, of hiring us because mm -hmm. it didn't, it didn't make any sense. I mean, I said, look, I can take your money, mm -hmm. but, I, but that's not the right thing to do here. You can do this and this and this go through other channels and hopefully achieve the same thing without hiring me. Right. If I thought hiring me was the last thing that you could do to possibly bring a conclusion to whatever you're calling about, mm -hmm. then I would say sure. Right. But uh, I'm not going to do that to people. And we will, you know, we've done everything from, we do a lot of uh, court appointed criminal cases. We do store bought lawyers, you know, retained criminal cases, mm -hmm. work uh, civil premise liability cases someone gets killed on an apartment complex and they sue the, the apartment complex. We work for the, the we typically work for the defendants, uh -huh. uh, the, the, the property owners, the, we've taken a couple of plaintiff's cases, but only because they were really, really good plaintiff's cases. Mm -hmm. and, and the plaintiffs did have a legitimate, at least in our argument, in, in our viewpoint, had, an, had a legitimate argument as to uh, they, uh, they're being wronged by, whoever they were, they'd filed the suit against. So, um, we work missing persons cases. Uh, we do background checks. We work locates. We work major fraud cases. Uh, we, we do personal security details mm -hmm. and, uh, we even, uh, we, we, because we, we network with a lot of people. If somebody calls us up and, and says, you know, I'm looking at putting a, I needed a security assessment for my business. We will, we will bring the people in. We have assets that we will bring in that will provide that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so we, we pretty much, we've got polygraph capabilities. So we do. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can I bring producer James up there? Because sure. I have him do a polygraph and I need you to run a background check on him for me. Absolutely. No Thank problem. You. All right. Perfect. Now it'll cost you. It won't be free. Oh, see, I thought we were better friends than that field. I really, really did. <laughs>
So, Phil, if any of our audience is interested in following you on social media or getting in contact with you for services, how can they reach you? Well, we have a website. Okay. Uh, www.kindredspiritsinvestigations.com. Okay. And that will tell you everything about us. Okay. And, of course, you can contact us uh, through email, through the website. There's a phone number there, uh, 833-639-5747. And that, uh, we have two extensions. My partner, Ed Brownie, is extension one, and then I am on extension two. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, if if we don't answer, then you can certainly leave a a voicemail and... uh, and we'll get back with you, but we always return our phone calls, and we've had some, you know, we've had some people call that were, you know, pretty, pretty crazy. I mean, you I know. I can only call. imagine. Yeah, and, uh, you know, and but that's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll be happy to talk to them, and, uh, and certainly after the show was out. Oh, God, oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> I started getting phone calls from people from all over the country, uh, wanting me to come to where they, cause they know this person was murdered and, you know, and, it, da, 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 and you know, and oh my gosh, you know, I get it. Uh, and I, and I call them and talk to them and I'll, and I'll, there've been a couple where I've just gone to, um, the authorities in those areas mm-hmm. and spoken to the detectives there and, and, uh, and they're well aware of this person and, and, and so forth and so on. And they, they give me, of course, the, uh, uh, I've still got a lot of contacts around the country, and and uh, they'll 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 give me kind of the inside scoop. So, right. um, but um, so I, I, I'm I'm always I'm always willing and receptive to listen to people mm-hmm. uh, and see what they're and, and hopefully that I can uh, give them a little bit of guidance on where mm-hmm. perhaps they need to be rather than where they want to be, and. Um, and you know and so uh, so far that's been that's been good we handle divorce cases of course we don't like to handle them mm-hmm. no. those are those are just uh you know and we typically don't we don't do do we don't do divorce cases unless they are um big money cases mm-hmm. and uh and we will we we just want whoever we're being hired by we just want a fair, you know, rendering for them. Right. Uh, we don't. We don't necessarily have a dog in the fight. We're not there to work against anybody. We're there to work for the person that we're that we're being hired by. And if they can pay the retainer, you know, we'll we'll do it. And sometimes we've 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 offered big. Re, you know, we'll tell them a big retainer because we're thinking we don't really want to, to get involved in this. Mm-hmm. Then when they pay it. It's kind of like, okay. well, all righty then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, let's yeah. carry on. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. And, um, you know, and when we're talking about money and so forth, it, you know, and about kindred spirits being on this side of it. So a lot of my, a lot of my, uh, my peers uh, would tell you that, you know, I've gone to the dark side. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm working now for defense attorneys and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But my response to them has always been this. Look, I'm not doing anything different now than when I was working on the job. Right. It was always a journey for the truth. And that means the good and the bad and the ugly. Mm-hmm. And you had to let evidence, and I still do it, you have to let evidence take you where you need to be. You can't take evidence someplace that you want it to go. Right. So, uh, you know, and, and when I see detectives that have done that, and quite frankly, uh, you know, there are, 
you know, I watched some of these cases, especially some of the cases that were overturned, that this person was wrongfully convicted, mm-hmm. uh, and so forth and so on. Um, that is a that is a tragedy. Right. Uh, that is that is something that I can tell you that all the people that I put in prison, and the nine people that I put uh, on death row, wow. uh, including, including two cop killers, uh, they all did what they did. Right. And I have no, uh, I can make that statement with no equivocation. Mm-hmm. They, they did it. Uh, we followed the evidence, and it led them to uh, to led us to them. So, uh, but you know what? I've seen cases, and, and of course, a lot of them are, are, are previewed on these on these shows. Mm-hmm. And it just breaks my heart when I see a detective who, for all intents and purposes, was was probably an adequate detect was adequate as a detective. Mm-hmm. And then they got into something that was either over their head. Mm-hmm. Or they became involved to the degree that they got tunnel vision mm-hmm. and could never break away from what they thought the end was going to be. And they made every step they made was to take that evidence in the direction they wanted it to go. Right. Right. And uh, and and that's uh, and that's a uh, uh, you know for the person involved in that kind of a of an injustice again that breaks my heart. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, and it happens, and and the and the criminal uh, justice system. I know, I know, one of your topics here was uh, talking about the the, the system itself, mm-hmm. um, and you talked about people being basically good and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, are they? Are they? I can tell you, Keisha. I, I look. I, I, I've looked. I've sat in the room with people that were, for all intents and purposes, were good people. Right. And they just they did a bad thing. Right. I've also looked in the eyes of evil, mm-hmm. and they did an evil thing, and they were not going to be dissuaded from doing it again mm-hmm. if they were ever allowed to get out. Ugh, that's now, scary. Are, are all people good? Uh, I will answer you this way. We are all born into sin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is the since, the, since the fall in the Garden of Eden, that has been the curse upon man. Yeah. Um, now, and that's, of course, you know, I mean, you look in the history of the Bible, which is the history of man, and, and um, you know, God tried to, he tried to get us right, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, he he's still trying to get place. us right. <laughs> he, he flooded the place, and, uh, you know, that still didn't make the point. Yeah. And the, uh, of course, the, uh, you know, his, the Israelites uh, you know, were constantly being, given redirected because mm-hmm. they lost the path in so many different ways and and uh and that was um that's why he sent his son right um to to bear the burden of our of all of our sins um on himself mm-hmm. to die for us and right. we are so we're all so undeserving of that um but he leaves us a choice he doesn't force it on us right and so um are all people good are all people basically good? Well, I, I would never use that term. I would say that all people are born into sin mm-hmm. and have the potential to have that sin washed away if they will accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Mm-hmm. And uh, because we are, and I don't want to get preachy here, but you know, we are a 
people, humans, we are spiritual beings experience a human experience. Right. We're not humans experiencing a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. uh, and, so, and that's the way God intended it. That's the way God made us. He created us that way. Right. And so, uh, you know, again, my, my feeling was that whenever I walked into an interview room, of course, I'm talking to people that have committed the most horrific act. Uh, they've taken another human life. Yeah. And so when I walk in that room, uh, number one, I would I would say a small prayer before I walked in, a short prayer, mm -hmm. and knowing that I was walking into darkness. Well, darkness is the absence of light. Right. Darkness doesn't exist by itself. Right. So it's the absence of light. And so my 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 goal was always to walk in that room and be the light shining into the darkness. Right. And a journey to the truth. And I would tell those people in that room that that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. and, and it made no difference to me again. It, it made no difference to me about who they were or what their skin color was, right. or what their religious uh, beliefs were or what their politics were or, or where they were, where they were rich or poor or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, because again, uh, I don't care if it was a, a crack monster in the ditch that was dead or a, uh, a socialite in River Oaks that was right. dead or anything in between, they all meant something to, to somebody. Someone, yeah. Yes. And, and that was, and I would have people at scenes that would come up to me and start this. I want closure. I hate the word. I've never used the word. I don't use the word except in the discussion of the word. And I, I would tell them, I, I will never be able to get that for you. Mm -hmm. You'll never have closure because the part of your heart and part of your life that that person occupied will never be filled. Right. Yeah. There will always be a scar. What I hope to do mm -hmm. is find the right person who did the wrong thing to your family member or your friend and bring about a measure of justice. And hopefully that will bring about some peace for yes. you. Mm -hmm. And that's the best. That's the best that I could do. And, and, you know, and, and there was not a one, and I, and I would tell always, always that I was keeping them in my prayers. Mm -hmm. And uh, my partner used to laugh about that because he, he used to tell people that I would tell people that. And he said, you know, but let me tell you the thing about Phil. If he told you that, he meant it. Right. So, and I would do that. And, and there are still some that, that, uh, that weighed very heavy on me that I still keep those families uh, in my prayers. Right. And then in a sense, all of them. But, uh, but so, you know, I, you know, our people, uh, uh, people have a choice. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, people have a choice. They have a choice whether they want to be good or whether they want to be bad. Right. And, and uh, you know, circumstances in their lives, because, I always go back when I hear people talk about, uh, you know, defense attorneys when they get up and they say, well, this person was, you know, beaten as a child. They had a horrible home life. And this, yeah. and this, is, why they, this is why they did what they did. And I will say that, you know, I, I don't buy that for a second. Uh, certainly environment is going to have an effect on people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. But when it comes down to it, uh, intellect and that environment people still know that it is wrong to sin they still know right. it is wrong 
to break one of the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. They still know it is wrong to kill someone right. in anger or in a criminal way. They know that. Right. And that, that's, you know, God gives us a conscience. Now, uh, there are people that dilute their conscience so much that they can go out and commit crimes, um, and it doesn't matter to them, but they still know that it's wrong. Right. And so, um, you know, I, as serial killers, sociopaths, psychopaths, uh, you know, difference between the two, right? Sociopaths believe that what they did was justified. Psychopaths enjoy what they did mm -hmm. and believe that it was justified. So, uh, and those, those are all pieces of the puzzle that we take into the interview room when we talk to people. But, um, yeah, to address that and, and the criminal justice system, you know, the system itself is, is not corrupt. It's kind of like uh, uh, Winston Churchill, um, you know, his comment about democracy, he said that democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I can tell you, I've taught uh, law enforcement classes all over the world. I've been in several different uh, countries and I've seen their justice systems. And I can tell you that, that as bad as ours is presumed to be, it's the best one going. Okay. And, and the, the justice system itself, uh, you know, there have been, I, I will give credit to the, the, the Constitution, to the, to the United States, to what this country was established on. And when we have seen mistakes within the system, they've been corrected. Now, the problem you have is that even though the system gets corrected, you have to remember that the system itself has no emotion. Mm -hmm. It makes no judgments. It doesn't make decisions. Mm -hmm. The people within that system are the ones that are flawed. Right. And they're, they are the ones that create the problems and the injustices within the system. Right. It's, it is incumbent upon the rest of us that want to maintain the integrity of the system so that it is justice in an equal, objective way for everyone mm -hmm. to make sure that we hold those people to the fire and hold those standards to the highest level possible. Well, Phil, I will tell you this. This has been one of the most fascinating interviews that I've done, and I've done about how many, James? Maybe this is our 75th show, I want to say. Oh, wow. Yes. So this is great. You have brought so much light to so many things that people sit at home and they wonder and they think about. I want you to, again, before we go, give us your website and how people can contact you. The website is www kindredspiritsinvestigations.com and our phone number 833-639-5747 you can reach my partner at extension one and you can reach me at extension two and possibly one day you can reach me at extension three because I'm going to work with you in one way or another. And I tell you what, when this quarantine is over, I would love for producer James and I to have dinner with you and St. Sandra so we could talk about our new show that's going to take place in Hawaii. Ah, that, would be, that would be awesome. Everyone, uh, make sure you check out Phil Waters on The Investigator on the ID channel. And Phil, I cannot, I'm sorry, James. Interrogator. What did I say? Investigator. I'm Investigator. hungry. I'm hungry.
I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm hungry. I can't think straight. James knows I'm going to get mean in about five minutes. My apologies. The interrogator on the ID channel. Phil, thank you so much for taking time out to talk with us today and for sharing so many great stories with our audience. Well, Keisha, I very much appreciate y'all asking at any time. Anytime. All right. Tell Sandra we said hey. I'll do it. Okay. All right. Take care. Be safe. All right. Aloha. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> it's the Neighbor Lounge. The Neighbor Lounge. Ooh.